Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good draft day. The Oilers have made their pick. Um, Mm -hmm. Bo Aki, 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 Bo Aki. Uh, but more on TV. Okay, they probably got that right. They know. And break uh, the heart. Yeah. Hope not. Uh, Kidding. (laughs) And um, there was a a trade, Bruce, of sorts. More of a poison pill being swallowed by the Edmonton Oilers, Mm. which happens if you give a contract to a player and it doesn't work out. There's a poison pill. Sometimes they're big and sometimes they're little. This strikes me as more of a small poison pill. But the Oilers moved Kyler Yamamoto and Kleem Costin to Detroit for future considerations. Whatever that means, usually nothing. So the reason I say that's a poison pill is I think Costin may have had some value. And that was this. He's the sweetener in the deal. Absolutely. Um, He's the sweetener. So because you have to add a sweetener, that's a poison pill. Now, he doesn't have a ton of value unless you have the cap space to sign him quickly, which Detroit may well. They do have the cap space to sign him. And Bruce, I, mm-hmm. aside from anything, everything, anything else, I think Austin has value. Oh, he yeah. is a good, he is a, he is a prom, like, I, you know, people are just writing it off. Well, this is the price of business and, the, you know, moving yeah. on Yamamoto and blah, blah, blah. But let's, let's not skip over the fact the Oilers just had to get rid of a player who has got potential as a two-way power forward in the NHL, who made a huge impact on the Oilers this past year, who was a major fan favorite, who hits, who fights, who can skate, um, who scored some goals last year. And I know some people are down on him because of, you know, the old shooting percentage thing, you know, that he was on a hot shooting streak, which is fair enough. But even if he had scored fewer goals, what he provided to the Oilers was significant. And in the playoffs, Bruce, he was a force in the playoffs. He was, in terms of being a two-way winger, he 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 was solid on defense, and he added to the attack in limited minutes. This is a real loss for the Oilers, and I don't. I, I think that's the first thing we should all note here, is because of the Oilers' salary cap, yeah. and Costin's maybe exorbitant salary demands. Um, which is also a factor here. They, yes, absolutely. They couldn't reach. They couldn't reach an agreement with this player, and it's a tough, tough day for the Oilers in that way. And that they're losing to the Detroit Red Wings or maybe some other KHL team or whoever Costin ends up. They're losing a, a darn good and very promising hockey player. Well, they're losing two 24-year-old full-time NHLers in return for nothing other than cap space, which is the be-all and end-all in the modern NHL. And, you, you know, there's just no room for mistakes. When you sign a, a guy coming off a 20-goal season, 23 years old, to a two-year deal, you don't expect him to bomb out so completely in the first year that you're going to move on. And, he, you know, to say he bombed out, he had injury issues, and that also obviously makes him harder to trade. Uh, yeah. But uh, he did score... Um, Almost a point every other game last year. He was plus 12. Costin was plus 12. These were outscoring players for uh, for Edmonton. And they're just going to have to replace them with uh, cheaper players. And ideally, well, they won't get cheaper than Costin, but they will be cheaper than what he's asking for, which is why they had to move Costin. They just couldn't see their way to 
to offering him the kind of extension that he clearly was looking for after his one good NHL season. And it's a, it's a harsh market out there. So they've got, uh, uh, now they've got, you know, a tiny bit more cap space. Uh, They gained none from moving on from Costin, who was at NHL minimum last year, but they did gain uh, something like 2.3 million by moving on from Yamamoto, assuming they replace him with an NHL minimum player. Right, like that's how much he made over Correct. the minimum was 2.3 million. I see what you're saying. And I'm all I always sort of make that equation. You got to replace the guy, so you got to subtract that amount out of uh, whatever you're you're uh, saving. But uh, hopefully we won't have people turning around and say, well, now we can go out and sign another three million dollar right winger or five million dollar right winger or whatever, because they need the cap space to pay Evan Bouchard and Ryan McLeod. And whether this amount will be enough to get that done, I think there's certainly Holland's got a little bit of elbow room now in in those negotiations, because they also gained this summer a two and a quarter million dollars out of dead cap that they no longer have to cope with from the uh, Andrei Sekera buyout and the Milan Lucic retention. Both of those commitments uh, expired at the end of last season. So between that and the Yamamoto move, now you're talking more like 5 million. Uh, and all they've done is subtract from last year's roster. There's nobody that really, no NHL players that have been added as yet. So they got, let's call it five more million dollars than, uh, than uh, before. And it, you know, it's that's a rough figure. There's always little things in the margins, like having to pay Evan Bouchard's bonuses from last year, for instance. And but they are uh, uh, at least out of cap jail, and now Holland can, at least has a little bit of room to negotiate. So and sign Bouchard and McLeod. Yeah, those, those, those are the that's, two. Those are the top priorities, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. I wonder why Costin wasn't on that list of, as a top priority. Honestly, Bruce, like. It strikes me, um, like I understand, like I remember the year Alex Chason had a good hot mm-hmm. shooting year and the order signed him to a $2 million contract. Was it one year or two years? Two years. Two years. So I understand that, that you know, in that moment, Chason looked like he could really shoot the puck, didn't he? You know, because he, he, he shot and they, they went in. And so there's that illusion, I think it's fair to yeah. say, with Costin that he can really shoot the puck too. And um, he might be worth two million, and then he comes back next year and he scores seven goals, and yeah. uh, he's injured, and maybe he doesn't even as effective as a fighter and a checker, and everyone's disgruntled. So I get all that, yeah. but nonetheless, young player, mm-hmm. willing, willing, a hard hitting physical hockey player, who can make plays with the puck, and is willing to fight, stand up for his teammates. I just wonder why he wasn't on the list of priorities. I, I'm not sure that I get it. And I wonder, could you have bought out? Would it have made sense to buy out Warren Fogle or to trade Warren Fogle? Could you trade have traded? Maybe. Would he have been a better bet than Warren? Like Fogle at 2.75 million, get rid of him. Could you could you move him out for nothing? You'd get nothing back, right? But could you move him out and then have kept clean cost? And would that have been a better bet? For the team well not if he wants two million though you see that's the thing they, they can't afford a big rate like i had frankly david at the beginning of the summer uh, i 
started off my uh, season review with the priorities, Holland's priorities to sign, and I had him listed. Bouchard, first post, McLeod, second post, Costin, third post. They were all restricted free agents. All of them, ideally, you bring them back. Well, they sacrificed one because he wanted too much money. Well, we don't know what uh, Bouchard and McLeod are asking for, but uh, we can safely guess it's too much money, at least from <laughs> Ken Holland's perspective of what he can afford. Yeah. And they, so, uh, you know, they've lost one of those players. That was such a great trade for Edmonton, but it was a great trade for one year, and then they just had to move on from this guy. And uh, it's sad, it, you know. I, Bruce, over I just, two points you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have traded Fogel to keep Costin? No? Uh, well, not if I then had to pay Costin $2 because then I'm still in cap jail. Okay, so fair so, enough. And we also don't know this. Like, so there there is an opening in the top six now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yamamoto's gone. There's an yeah. opening. Who's going to fill it? You know, so the the candidates are we. Well, you know, Raphael Lavoie was a 25 goal scorer, I think, in the AHL last year. Came on strong, big, 22 year old winger. Um, he's mean. Like, he's not a bad candidate actually to fill Costin's spot. Like, to be like what. What Clean Costin bought, brought to the orders, Raphael Lavoie, if he made up his mind, he's going to be that player. He could be that player next year who comes in and scores, you know, and fourth line duty, scores 10, 11 goals, takes some fights, is is physical, hits people. I mean, he has that in him. He's 6'4", 220. He's, he's mean. Um, you know, he's not, in a, he's not, they're different players. I think Lavoie actually has more skill as an attacker. In fact, I heard him mentioned yesterday think Mark Spector mentioned on owners now is clean cost and be, or excuse me Raphael Lavoie being a potential um someone for the top six next so year? there's him yeah next year so there's uh-huh. him there's Holloway um there's um him and there's Holloway and but we don't know is a player like Connor Brown right who's been rumored to be considering Edmonton and Brian Lawton, um, the former player agent at NHL GM, said, you know, if he was Connor Brown's agent or that kind of, you know, knowing what he knows, and he didn't have perfect knowledge of Connor Brown's situation, but knowing what he knows of the player, right. he 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 said Connor Brown's someone who should bet on himself and come to Edmonton on a on a riskier deal rather than mm-hmm. sign a three-year deal for three or four million dollars each. Come to Edmonton, bet on yourself, and then get more money. So, um, you know, that was interesting. Maybe there's something that we don't know. Maybe there's Connor Brown's in the works for that sixth, that second line role. And um, so losing Costin. But I think actually Bruce Costin wasn't, it wasn't crazy thinking to think that Clint Costin might be able to step up into the top six for a year and, um, and provide something because the guy, and yeah, he could have bet on himself player. too in, in this yeah. environment where he's found a team where he fits after not doing so well in St. Louis in that department, apparently. But uh, I don't know. The Oilers and their the, the Oilers' success with Russians, even when they get one that seems to be working out, they give them away for nothing. You know, I mean, like that's what obviously oversimplification, but that's what it feels like. Yeah. What did they get for Bo Miranov back in the day? What was? Oh, they got Ethan oh, Morrow, didn't they? Yeah. They got. Yeah, that was a big package from Chicago. They got. Yeah, they got Dean McCammond out of that deal, and uh, they got three or four guys back for Bo. So yeah. yeah, they've had they've had good Russians in the distant past. They just haven't had much success with them, and 
yeah. in uh, recent years, to say the least. I'm super disappointed. And of course, like the, yeah, so we also lost an NHL player, as you say, in Kyra Yamamoto. Now, I don't think, based on the way he's played overall for the Edmonton Oilers, that Kyra Yamamoto is a top six player on mm-hmm. the Edmonton Oilers. I think, though, he's a good third line player on the Edmonton Oilers. And if only he had signed, if only he was making, you know, a million and a half, he would have been worth keeping because he is a good third line player. Um, he's a good, he's a, he's a good checker. He can score some goals. It would have been wonderful to have him that amount of money, but the NHL really is all about the cap. Yep. It's about what you're making compared to what you do and how you fit on the team. And, yep. and it's, a, it is a, let's just deal with this now. It's a sad day. There's, there's news mm-hmm. out of uh, Carolina mm-hmm. that yes, a pulley RV is going to have double hip surgery. Again. This follow again, this follows up on, on his, so this is a guy with all kinds of potential as a hockey player who suddenly his demise with the Oilers, he, he was, he was a strong player, Bruce in 21, 22. He looked like he was going to be a top six forward. And then all of a sudden we see this sudden demise in him and people were wondering what it was about again. Was it long COVID for instance, or was it some other injury? Well, the, some other injury factor seems to, to be exhibit, you know, that's the answer. He he's, he's obviously got, major hip problems mm-hmm. um this is the second time that he's had this surgery yeah. listen his career as an as a hockey player it sounds like it's in doubt to me at this point and yeah. um it's too bad both he and yamamoto all kinds of people love these players in oil country Kyler yamamoto my wife's favorite player yes and mm-hmm. pulley we both really liked that player all kinds of people you know dustin nielsen was uh you know famous for for his support of yes rv we stuck <laughs> with yes rv even when he went to finland bruce like yep. we were not down on him at that well point. that was the first time he had double hip surgery was yeah. at the end of his elc and remember that third season in edmonton uh under ken hitchcock um and he just kept falling down for mm-hmm. like no apparent reason And so he went home, he got that dealt with, he, you know, came back, played a good solid year in the Finnish league and he came back and looked like he was ready to, to roll, but whatever, if you've had, have to have the same, uh, I mean, I'm not sure it's exact same surgery, but if you have to have your same body part operated on twice, especially if there's two of them in their core body, like your hips, uh, I'm very, uh, um, well, sad for him. I mean, that's a, that's a crappy break for a young athlete, and uh, it maybe explains a couple things, but uh, uh, it's uh, it's a sad day that uh, both of these three million dollar this year uh, right wingers that the Oilers drafted in consecutive drafts in the first round, two right wingers in a row, and they were just four months apart in age, and here we have sort of different. Denouement. So, I mean, Pugliari was already done as an oiler, but now he seems to be done as an NHLer. And on the same day that we learned that, that Kyler Yamamoto is done as an oiler. And Clem Costin, who was another very popular player, David, is uh, down the road as well. So, uh, uh, Ken Holland's done the first part of his work, I guess, in sort of clearing stuff out. But now he's got to find players to replace these guys. And... You know, it's back to back to the drawing board in sense of you know now we need a scoring right winger and a and a depth forward with a with a little bit of toughness. You say Raphael Lavoie 
and you, you say you can pick up a few fights. Well, to me, that's a low priority, but he fought exactly once <laughs> last year. And the one time he fought was when he got benched at the end of a period and chewed out by his coach. And he came out for the start of the next period. And the first shift, he grabbed the first Calgary Wrangler he could find and wrangled with him. And that was his one and only fight. So my thinking is it's not his norm to do that. He was way outside of his comfort zone in that. So I'm not looking for him to do any of that stuff. But if he's big and can use his size to get to the front of the net and win some battles in the corner... And, you know, at, you know, the odd booming check. I mean, obviously you want to have have uh, some of that somewhere in your lineup. And Costin did all of those things. So that's what they need to uh Well, to when, I said a, I, when I said a few fights, I actually really did mean a few. Meaning <laughs> two. <laughs> he just has to double his number. All you have to do, Bruce, is stand up for a teammate now and then. Yeah, yeah, and, no, that's know, true. You got to do the news. happened twice. You, just like Nuge did it. This got to do the Nuge. Just what? That's right. just that guy just goon my teammate. Hey, grab him. That's what I meant. <laughs> but he, we do know from watching him in Sweden, he is a physical player. He is fierce, Rafa. Uh-huh. Especially when he has the puck going to the net. Like that's yes. what comes out mostly in him. But he's he is a massive guy. He's a great big guy, and he can be. He is a nasty hockey player. Like he 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 rubs. He hacks, slashes, elbows his way to the net. So there's a lot to like in Rafael Lebois. And this is the NHL, Bruce. This is what we have to get used to. And it, the good news is, actually, that the Oilers do have, you know, they've lost Yamamoto. They've lost um, Costin now. They lost Pugliarvi previously. But there's some good, Holloway and Lebois are are really good young hockey players who have a significant chance to step up and take a role in the top six. You know, it's 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 interesting though that with both, and it's so typical. Hockey is a brutal physical battle, and Yamamoto and Pugliarvi weren't sunk. They're not sunk by a lack of talent, mm-hmm. or a lack of desire, or a lack of compete, or all these things. Both of these players, the they are being sunk right now by injuries, yes. and this is the story of the NHL. It's always been the story of the NHL. It's tough to take. Yes. It's hard to see, but it's what this is how it goes. Like this is a this is why they get, this is why they when they get paid a lot of money, Bruce. Mm-hmm. I'm not someone who sits there and resents it. I, I and I never oh, have no. because no. this is a tough way to make a living. And yeah, you get you get glory and you get well paid. Mm-hmm. You get physically battered as well, and you put yourself at great risk playing NHL hockey. So. It's why we love it. It's, you know, if it wasn't such an intense physical combat, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting. But the, there's a price that the players paid, and we just see saw what happened with Pugliarvi and Yamamoto. <sighs> and Holloway. I mean, this is, he's the guy stepping up to replace mm-hmm. him. And Roberg. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with these young draft choices yeah. over and over again. I mean, I remember back to a young guy named Doug Lynch that the Oilers drafted out of Red Deer Rebels. Uh, many years ago, and he w- he really w- was looking like a great pick, was coming on gangbusters in junior. Uh, I think he was on the Rebels team, a wrestler's team that won the uh, Rebels, Rebels, that won the uh, uh, Memorial Cup. And But he, he did something to his wrist, and he 
the Oilers wound up trading him as part of the deal that brought in Chris Pronger, the first CFP trade that uh, brought in Pronger and sent out uh, uh, Lynch and Wojtka and Brewer. And they were all promising guys, and but the, the injuries completely wrecked that guy. And sometimes you never even get to see him, you know, what they could have done because they get hurt before they ever get here. At least yeah. in the case of Pugliarvi and Yamamoto, they got their crack at it and, uh, you know, got, uh, you know, a couple hundred games or more in at the uh, at the NHL level. And I'm assuming Yamamoto will play with Detroit. And Costin may or may not sign with Detroit. And meanwhile, Steve Eisenman, who fleeces Oilers for draft picks every time that uh, uh, they come to him for a rental, couldn't even cough up like a fifth or a seventh or anything at all for these two guys that he got today and dealing with his old mentor, Ken Holland. So I don't well, know. I think Eisenman got the better of this one too, frankly, but he's obviously dealing in a different situation. Bruce, teams with cap space are going to win player trades yeah, at cap space yeah. time. That's just if, if, if he got cost, if he gets cost and signed, um, you know, they have the cap space. If mm-hmm. they have, if they get cost and signed for a couple oh, years, this could be a huge win, win for Detroit. Yeah. Like, you know, the, he, he is a, he's just what every NHL team wants. I'm surprised there wasn't more of a market for him. I guess it's just so late in the game mm-hmm. in terms of signing him. And maybe teams just don't want to take that risk. But if you have cap space, if you're not a very good team, if you were in Arizona or, or um, Chicago or like, that's a guy. So I, this is why I say this is a poison pill. I actually think Austin had some real value here. And they just had to swallow that pill to move out Yamamoto. And that's that's life in the NHL. We've seen, you know, other teams are doing the same thing. Riley Smith, who was a useful winger for the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights, was traded for, what did they get back? Third. Not, you know, not great value for him. Tyler. Look at a third and then they used the five million to sign Ivan Bo. Barbashev for five years. So they, they used the cap space on a different player. Plus they got a third. So you could say, yeah. yeah. Tell her what Vegas they they uh, uh, they lead the world in in uh, the hockey world in uh, uh, lack of um, what's the word? Yeah, they did. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, they got no problem getting rid of guys, right? And and they've done a couple of real strange trades over the deal, like over the years. They traded Mark Andre. Fleury, franchise icon goalie Mark Andre Fleury, for nothing. They just gave him away to just get his contract over the off the books. And this year they gave away Max Pacioretty for Lack nothing. Lack of sentimentality. Is yes, that it? that's the word. Sentimentality is the word. Thank you. And they uh, they traded um, Max Pacioretty for nothing, right? And that's a guy that they gave up a whole hell of a lot to bring on in the first place you know i mean nick suzuki among other things was part of the price they paid to bring him on and, and yet when the time came uh they just moved on from the guy because they needed the cap space and and vegas showed sort of this this cold-blooded pursuit of cap space um and you i was thinking well i just you know they're get they're bringing on the the uh uh, the sexy new available player, the shiny new guy, the way they went and got Eichel and, and uh, Petrangelo and so on. But in the end, they improved by getting those guys and they made room for them just by flat out essentially cutting big salaries from their 
from the, and finding takers for them. That's the other thing. I mean, in both cases, they did not have to throw in a sweetener. They just gave away a, a good player with a year or two to run on his contract to another team. Bruce, Bo Aki. Yeah. Aki. All right. What do you think? What did you find out about him? You wrote the post on him. What do you say? I did. Uh, I think I found my favorite profile written on him by Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, a very excellent uh, prospect uh, reporter. And he says, a top player on a top team in the OHL this year, Aki is a beautiful flowing skater with plus level mobility in all four directions. He can transition pucks up ice, join in transition, walk the line, and fall back onto his heels and edges when he needs to. I like him defending the rush where he uses his feet and stick to manage gaps and steer opposing carriers. I like the way he sees the ice and joins the offense. He can run a power play, likes to make himself available as a shot option at 5-on-5. His game defensively does lack a little polish and attention to detail at times, there's a lot to work with, and his ranking here is an indicator of the strength of this draft. He's a firm second-round talent for me, and he ranked him at number 60. The Oilers got him right around that same spot at number 56. And almost all the draft rankings had him right in the second round, between 32 and 65 with one exception. So, you know, right in the second round, the Oilers got, you know, a solid, um, you know, bet for what they got. To me, reading this, he re, you know, the beautiful skater part sounds great. I mean, a lot of his, uh, he sounds kind of like an 18-year-old version of Tyson Berry with some of the stuff they're describing here. Uh, but that's not the worst thing. Uh, six foot, 173 pounds, and that's the thing. As a defenseman at that size, you have to be, uh, you know, not only have excellent edge work and all, you know, the skating skills, which apparently he has, but there's also, you know, uh, ability to read, play, and the discipline to get, you know, inside of the opposing player is essential for a small, smaller defender. The good news is that, I mean, he's 18 years old. He's got two more full years at Barry. He had it last year. He had a good first half, a less good second half. And what happened was um, uh, Barry brought in Brant Clark, uh, the uh, hotshot prospect of the Los Angeles Kings, who they got at the trade deadline in January. And at the halfway point, they got him exactly halfway through the season, 33 games in out of 66. And at that point, Aki had 28 points. And then the back half of the season, he had only 19 points. And that's because Clark basically pushed him off the power play. And, you know, that's a top 10 overall draft pick, Brent Clark, one who's trending very positively and who was 20 years old, not 18. So it's not exactly a slight on Aki that they went out and brought in someone even better to run their power play. Uh, it just means, A, that he probably got a chance to learn a little bit off of Brent Clark. And now Clark will be on his way to the NHL. Almost surely he's going to wind up directly in Los Angeles. And when he does, guess what? The first power play slot opens back up again. And Aki will be a big minutes player for uh, uh, for uh, his team in the OHL uh, in uh this year and next, uh, you know, he's two years before they even have to think about him turning pro because he's not a late birthday. He's a February of 05. So he'll turn pro in the fall of 25. And so he's, you know, a good prospect in the, you know, in a, in a good place. But in terms of having any impact on the NHL, years away. 
Yeah, if he was if he was a bigger guy, he'd obviously be taken in the first round, I think. Probably yes. like if he was six two, two twenty, like this and this could skate this, like that. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. But he's not. Um just a few comments on the uh it, on the um cost in uh Yamamoto deal. This this from here's Mark Spector of Sportsnet. He says, massive disappointment for Yamamoto, moving from cup contender to 24th 24th place Detroit. And he quotes a friend of the player saying, yes, this hurts. Mm -hmm. Detroit could buy out Yamamoto uh, or keep him at 3.1 million. Rights to cost and may have been Iserman's goal. Um, That's what Spectre said. And here's from uh, Mo Sarda, who goes by Wheaton Oil. uh, And he's a pretty sharp fan. So... Um, I usually pay attention to what he says. He says, mm-hmm. quote, I'm pretty impressed that the Oilers managed to clear cap space without taking anything back or giving up mm-hmm. a draft pick. I like Yamamoto, mm-hmm. but the Oilers needed an upgrade there. Now we'll have to see what they do with the cap room. As for cost, and I also liked him, but the risk with him was that they'd pay him too much for too, or too long, banking on a repeat of him shooting 19.6%. Seems like they were pretty far apart in negotiations, and you can get yourself in trouble tying limited cap to these bottom six guys. Mm-hmm. You know that's solid analysis by, by mm-hmm. Mo. I think I think your your feelings about this particular trade, your analysis of this trade, comes down to how much you valued Costin, and um, and thought he could be a really contributing player for the orders going forward. I think I have at the higher end. Yeah, valuation for Costin. So because of that, I'm less keen about this this whole thing. I, I would have actually considered uh, buying out Fogel um, mm-hmm. in order to keep a player like Costin and maybe, you know, not maybe at two oh, million, but if you could if you could go, if you could, you know, get it lower than that, get him signed for two years, move out Fogel for nothing, and um you know, I'm not. I'm not convinced that Warren Fogel's going to be a better player than the next two years than Clean Costin. I didn't see right. that. You know, Warren Fogel was really good, though. That said, mm-hmm. Warren Fogel was really good. So it's not like I'm keen to get rid of him either. I guess this is just this is the situation you have when you're a good team. The final thing I'd say about Yamamoto. One more thing I'd say about Yamamoto is that in terms of moving and Bruce, we did raise injuries, but there's also the. It's also the case that in every single season. He was significantly weaker as a two-way player in the playoffs than he had been in the yeah. regular season, and this was four. This was four years running, I believe. Yeah, four years running where we saw this same trend. This isn't something that you can shake off lightly in terms of evaluating the player. If you're, let's say, you're a big Yamamoto booster, mm-hmm. that matters. It matters a lot, and the fact that he and is actually his worst two-way playoff performance came this year. Yeah. in the playoffs he just wasn't a good player when the chips were down he did make the odd scoring play but he just didn't get it done and for that reason i think really that's why he's being moved as much as anything i think if he'd come up big in the playoffs this year bruce he'd still be an edmonton order despite a weak regular season but because he didn't um, that's why he's not that's why he was moved fundamentally yeah well the quick and dirty stat that i have here which is uh uh, plus minus, uh, and we could go into, uh, um, you know, real five on five goals and it probably wouldn't show a lot different because he's not a player who plays a ton in, you know, uh, high leverage, you know, empty net situations, for example. Uh, but he was plus in his 
244 NHL games, he was plus 29 in the regular season. So basically, that's three full seasons at plus 10 per season. And in the postseason, he played 34 games and he was minus 16. So, I mean, that's a huge difference. And, you know, I mean, you can just, if you want to just put down the plus minus stat and say it means nothing, then okay, let it mean nothing to you. To me, it means that he, uh, uh, you know, the orders got outscored when he was on the ice in the games that mattered most. And to my eye, he was losing puck battles and bigger guys were, you know, and, and during the season he would win some of those battles by having, you know, a, an elevated, uh, what the announcers call battle level, compete level, uh, you know. And But in the playoffs when sort of everybody is amped up, you could see it like it looked like boy against men at times with him. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it because, you know, I like the player and I like like what he brings out there. But he was maybe a little diminished by by injury as well. And as uh, the playoffs wound down, he was really no help to Edmonton. <sighs> Sadly. And I wish him well. I wish him all well. All three of the guys that we mentioned, three young Young uh, uh, players that uh, that are, uh, uh, you know, heading elsewhere. So um, let's see, what's this guy's Chris uh, Chris Johnson? Chris Johnson yeah. of TSN was just on talking about um, the orders moving out cap space, talking with Pierre LeBrun, and, and Johnson says, "quote It's natural for us to connect the dots here with Connor Brown." I think you'll see a likely signing, a low-dollar deal, perhaps with some performance bonuses. I would say the Oilers are in the driver's seat to get that contract done. Mm-hmm. Boom. So that's really interesting. That's what we were referencing, the possibility. that, And that, to me, makes mm-hmm. this, a, this uh, it makes things a lot sweeter if this is the case. And we've heard back and forth, like earlier in the week, Stoffer and Sarah Volley were talking. It didn't sound like it was going to, like, you know, and Holland was saying, well, you know, this bonus money that we'd have to pay next year, we still have to pay it. And it's yeah, no, he's right. And he's right about that. But this, I mean, this sounds mm-hmm. like reporter Chris Johnson of TSN mm-hmm. knows something, has heard something. So um, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Yeah, well, let's say he gets a $1 million contract with $2 million in bonuses. They're paying him essentially, you know, $2 million, $2 million easily attainable bonuses. They're paying him what they paid Yamamoto, but only $1 million of it is coming out of this year's cap where they're really crunched. Next year, they do have a, a contract or two that are actually coming off the books at the end of the season. Plus, they'll have a, what's expected to be maybe a $5 million boost in the salary cap. And I'm with Holland in the sense that, you know, they still have to account for it next year. And it's not like you can spend that $5 million five times. You're going to get it once. But uh, that would be a way to uh, to boost the team in 23-24 under, under very difficult um, salary restraints. All right. Um, final thoughts? Anything to add? Uh Jeez, I don't know. My favorite moment of the draft was Adam Fantilli wearing a vest that had all the names of all the people in his life that had helped him get to that point. That was very cool. On the back of his vest, it had it all all uh, uh, scripted up with uh, top to bottom names of parents, grandparents, coaches. You know, uh, that was that was a that was a classy 
thing that I've never seen before. And otherwise, that first round, David, it was just interminable. It was four hours to make 32 picks, none of them belonging to the Oilers, with no trades, nothing going on. And I wasn't a big fan of the coverage either, to tell you the truth. They, they, I miss the days of Bob McKenzie covering the draft. Man, oh man, I just haven't got his equal on Sportsnet or uh, whatever merger between the Canadian American coverage that they do for these uh, uh, drafts anymore. So anyway, on to bigger and better things. And then uh, uh, on tomorrow to... Um, uh, qualifying offers, Kim Costin's off the books, so they got five other RFAs, and I'm assuming they're going to just qualify all of them and then carry on with with uh, negotiations. So I would be happy to hear of an Evan Bouchard resolution sooner than later, though. Well, I'm starting to think we are going to hear about a Connor Brown signing, Bruce. I mean, mm-hmm. that's fairly uh, strongly worded. Um, mm-hmm. insi- it's not like insiders are always right. They sometimes right. get it wrong. But um, sure that's, that sounded fairly mm-hmm. um, fairly promising. Connor Brown um, is coming off a knee injury. He was um, saying um, to Luke Gazdick that uh, it's in the last month, it's really responded well and it's really felt good, his knee. So we'll see. Bad see one because he, he only played four games and he was out for the season in October. Yes. So if it's only starting to respond now, but mind you, it's an ACL, right? Same thing that wrecked Andre Sekra. Yeah. Um, it can, you know, those ones do take six to nine to even 12 months to come off. So it's certainly good news if he's uh, feeling better. And the orders, I mean, I heard, I'm not sure if it was a quote from Holland or attributed to Holland that they wouldn't even be in the market on Saturday, that they'll be shopping on Sunday when they see what's left over because the big money deals will go down on Saturday. Well, they'd make an exception for Connor Brown. If they can announce such a deal as that, they would probably do it Saturday. Yeah. He is an interesting player. Bruce, let's leave it there and uh, we'll talk to, talk again soon, I'm sure. And in the meantime, thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.